the purpose was for Jesus' coming. Now, guys, I think this is incredibly important, not just because we get to see what the gospel is, but that God reveals the very purpose for which Christ came. And he did it differently. God did it differently in the word. He says something in an interesting way. He tells us first what he didn't do before he tells us what he did. Guys, that's just another reason I know that God is male. How many of you, in dealing with your wives, before you tell her what you did, you tell her what you didn't do? Isn't that kind of how we, that's exactly how we work. We, when, when, it, when it starts to get a little tense, we make sure they know what we did not do or the purpose that we were not a part of before we let them know the purpose. He says the purpose is not to condemn. For God sent not his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. The word condemn means to, to judge guilty. Some of us, that may cause our ears to perk up. I mean, wait a second. Jesus is the judge. We may think of those moments in Scripture where it speaks about him judging the world. In fact, let me give you several verses. You may want to jot these down. I'm going to throw these out to you shotgun style, okay? If you're going to write them down, write them down. Mark 2.17. Jesus said, I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Luke 19, 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. Matthew 20, verse 28, even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. John 18, 37, Jesus says, to this end I was born, and for this cause I came into the world, that I should bear witness to the truth. John 6, 38, for I came down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. John 12, 46, I've come to light in the world that whosoever believes on me should not abide in darkness. John 10, 10, I am come that they may have life and that they might have it more abundantly. Mark 1, 38, and he said to them, let us go to the next towns that I may preach there for this is the reason I came forth. John 12, 27, now is my soul troubled and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour, but for this hour... I came. Matthew 5, 17. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I came not to destroy, but to fulfill. Matthew 10, 34 and 35. Think not that I am come to send peace on the earth from our own Bible study Wednesday night. I came not to send peace, but a sword. For I've come to set a man at variance against his father and a daughter against her mother and the daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. In John 20, 21. Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you as my Father has sent me, so send I you. And lastly, John 9, 39. Jesus said, For judgment I am come into this world. For judgment I am come into this world. That they which see might not see. And they that might see might be made blind. How do we justify in John 9, 39... Jesus says, for judgment I've come into this world. And yet for John 3, 17, it says, the Son of Man came not into the world to judge the world or condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. It's been said that the main priority of the Son is not to cast shadows, but it does. Simply in its existence, simply the job that the Son does in to shine 
produces shadows when it falls on something that stands in its way. Even though that's not the purpose of that glowing ball in the heavens, is not to make shadows, that is a consequence of what happens. And what John 9.39 is saying, and how it relates to John chapter 3, verse 17, is Jesus did not come in that dispensation for the purpose of condemning. He did not come in that purpose at that time for that purpose of judging all men guilty because we would have all been found guilty. His appearance, his presence, his, his uh, advent on the scene, him coming to the world as the perfect holy son of God was to redeem the world, was to show men that we are sinners, was to proclaim the teachings and the truth of the kingdom of God and to give his life a ransom for many. And in order, as he came and presented himself, he was then able to allow people to see that he was holy. And in seeing who he was, they saw how unholy they were. It was a consequence, not the purpose for which he came. His purpose was to redeem, was to save. But his presence drew a line. His presence opened eyes, as he says in chapter 9, verse 39, that those who see might be made blind, and those who are blind might be able to see. Jesus, in his presence, even just being there, was able to make sure that we understood that he is the only way to heaven. His purpose was not to condemn. John 12, 46 through 50, I've come as a light to the world that whoever believes in me should not abide in darkness. And if anyone hears my words and does not believe, I do not judge him, for I did not come to judge the world, but to save the world. If his purpose was not to condemn one of those great changes in direction when it says his purpose was not to judge guilty but that the world through him might be saved i love that word saved to be rescued to be delivered you see that word is a word that we use a lot in church life we find it throughout the bible and sometimes the lost world doesn't understand what that, world, what that word means exactly. But it literally means this, that I was spiraling towards eternal judgment of God because of my sin. That I was literally teetering over a devil's hell. And Jesus Christ rescued me. You see, the people that need saving are those who cannot save themselves. If someone falls over the side of a ship and they're floating out in the ocean and someone says, man overboard, we realize on that ship that that person cannot swim fast enough to be able to get back to the boat and to be able to climb up the side. That person is in desperate need of saving because they can't save themselves. If, they, if we could save ourselves, we wouldn't need saving. And when Jesus, when God's word is telling us that he did not come to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved, it is a declaration that we are unable to rescue ourselves. We were in desperate need for somebody, a hero, to sweep in and throw us that eternal life preserver. Jesus didn't just come to save you and I. He came to save the world, John 3.17 says. 
He, he came to save all mankind. He came to, to reach out and to, to be a savior for those in different tribes, nations, and tongues. We talked about that throughout this series. Whosoever. He came to save those deep in addiction. He came to, to save those who have no, no good self-image of themselves. He came to save those who are wrapped up in besetting sins. He came to save those who are wrapped up in good works but still don't know the Savior. He came to save the world. What an awesome, awesome feat. But it does say that the world is not saved except through Him. The exclusivity of Jesus Christ as Savior. Why do we have missionaries in the Middle East? Because they believe that the only way, there is only one name given under heaven among men, whereby we must be saved. And his name is Jesus Christ. Why do we have missionaries serving in countries where Buddhism is the predominant religion? Because men and women just like you and I believe that God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him through Jesus, might be saved. There is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. It is only, exclusively, Jesus. Acts 17, 31, Because He, God, has appointed a day in which He will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom He has ordained. He has given assurance to all of us of this by raising him from the dead. We will be judged by the standard of Jesus Christ. By the way, after Jesus had spent the very intimate time with his disciples in the large upper room, before he was betrayed and crucified, The Bible tells us that he went out into the garden. Judas had already left the table and had already gone to do what what was in his heart to do. So Jesus and the 11 disciples go out into the garden of Gethsemane to pray. And Jesus takes Peter, James, and John a little further. So he leaves the remaining disciples uh, a little further. A little, little uh, more out to the edge of the garden and takes Peter, James, and John a little closer, deeper into the garden. And while he leaves them there, he goes on yet deeper into the heart of that dark garden. And as he lays down alone, all by himself, he tells his disciples to watch and pray. And as Jesus, in Luke chapter 22, is praying, do you remember he said these words, Father, if possible, take this cup from me? There was this moment where Jesus, this beautiful prayer, was recorded of Jesus as he he labored in prayer to the Father, as he was burdened by the weight of what was getting ready to happen, standing literally at the threshold of the betrayal and the beginning of the sufferings. Jesus said, Father, if possible, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. You know one of the great things? We think sometimes, or some people have thought before, that what Jesus was saying is, God, I really want to get out of this. God, I, I really, just, just get me out of this mess. And that could not be any further from the truth. 
Jesus wasn't there in the garden pleading with the Father that He would do it another way. There's nothing in the Scriptures to support that Jesus was ever saying, God, get me out of this mess. The purpose of Jesus falling down in the garden, praying, if it be possible, let this cup be passed from me, was not to get Him out of it, but to prove to the world that there was no other way. If there was another way for the world to be saved, if there was another way for the world to be redeemed, if there was another way, don't you know, the Father would have said, I've got it. Here, here's plan B. Jesus said that, not to get out of it, but to remind us There was no other way. The Father sent not the Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. We move from the purpose of not to condemn, but to save the world through Him to the promise. Verse 18, He who believes in Him, not in a, Man, not in a religion, not in a denomination, not in himself, not in works, but who, he who believes in him, Jesus Christ, the Savior, is not condemned. Remember, believing is being able to put our entire weight and support on. He who believes is not condemned. Guys, can you think this morning of any greater promise than that? Just take that little phrase. He who believes in him is not condemned. Sounds a lot like Romans 8, 1. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. No condemnation. Believer, you will never stand before a condemning God. You will never hear the words, depart from me, you cursed, I never knew you. You will never hear the words into eternal darkness where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. You will never, ever, ever hear those words. Why? Because you have believed in Him. You have received Him as your personal Lord and Savior. Your sins are covered through His perfection. Your sins have been dealt with completely on the cross of Calvary. But I believe just as beautiful. What a contrast. Just as beautiful. As that word, that phrase is, he who believes is not condemned. Is equally horrible. Of the second part, but he who does not believe is condemned already. As a child of God, because I have believed, I will never be condemned. But those who have never believed, who have rejected Him, are condemned already. They will stand before God, and they will be judged. I guess you could say that for the, non, for the unbeliever that this life is simply an arraignment. And they will stand. 
And the righteous judge will judge. But he will simply confirm a judgment that has already been passed by their own rejection of the gospel. A self-incurred judgment would be the way that we could say it. He who believes in him is not condemned. Beautiful word. Beautiful phrase. But he who does not believe is condemned already. Because he has not believed in the name. of The only begotten son of God. It seems like John does this better than anybody else. To take these beautiful phrases and. Line them right up with one of some of the more horrific truths. John has a great way of taking both the humanity and the divinity of Jesus and throwing them right together to combine these things to give us a very clear understanding. These are both promises. Let me show you this third and final thing this morning. The purpose leads to a promise which brings about a problem. Not a problem on God's part, but a problem on ours. Verse 19, and this is the condemnation. Not just to say, for something so important as condemnation, for something as important as a soul slipping into an eternal destiny apart, it would not be enough for God to say He is condemned. But God, out of His love for us, makes sure that we understand what the ramifications of judgment are. He wants us to know, if someone is going to be condemned, this is what it looks like. This is the definition. This is condemnationology. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world And men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. What God's Word is telling us is that we are not condemned because God does not like us. We are not condemned because God does not love us. We are not condemned because God did not do enough on our behalf. We are condemned because we are sinners who have rejected a Savior. He makes sure we know that the onus is laid on us. The ball is in our court. It is not God's fault. For God so loved the world. I want you to look at it again how John does this. He takes two phrases. And I want you to take this phrase out of John 3.16 and cut it in your mind. Cut it out in your mind, okay? Highlight it and then hit control C. Get you a new piece of paper and hit control V on the second piece of paper in your mind. For God so loved the world. You got it? Is it cut and pasted? I see some of you are nodding yes. That's cute. Verse 19. You ready to cut and paste this? Men love darkness rather than light. Man. Cut and paste that, guys. For God so loved the world. And men loved darkness. Rather than light. Here it is. This is the condemnation. For God loved the world so much that He gave His only begotten Son. Loved. 
And men loved darkness rather than light. Isn't it incredible? We see something about God in our little cut and pasted piece of paper in our mind. We know, everybody in here, believer or non-believer, we really know in our heart of hearts at the end of the end of the day, both by what we have seen in God working in our life and in the life of others, what we had heard from our grandmother or our Sunday school teacher, what we have read um, on, on the football field as they hold up the sign. We really believe that God loves us. We really believe that God loves the world. But we have to be able to remember that love is not the only nature of God. David said in Psalm 101, I will sing of mercy and judgment. To you, O Lord, I will sing. I will sing of both mercy and judgment. Mercy is not giving you what you deserve, and judgment is giving you what you deserve. And as he's praising God, he says, God, I'm praising you for the fact that you are merciful and just and just. You are holy and loving. He was able to weigh both of those as he prayed to God. And we have to be able to remember that God is both loving and holy. He is both loving and righteous. He does not stop being one at the expense of the other. Just like a coin has two sides, both of them are valid. The same thing is true with the makeup and the nature of God, that He can possess both the qualities of love and holiness at the same time. He can possess both mercy and justice at the same time. Here's the important thing. God's Love for the world, as great as it was, as, as incredible, as immense, as lavish, as John says, God's love was for us, that He would send His only Son, the greatest of all gifts, that His love was not overran by His righteousness. Let me put it to you like this. God could have looked down the corridors of time. Remember, he started this plan before we were ever here. God could have looked down the corridors of time and said, you know what? Man's going to love darkness rather than light. I'm going to send my son for a fraction of the world. I'm going to send my son and, 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 and in the whole scheme of things, only few there will be saved from it. You know, it's incredible, isn't it? That God did not lower His standards of what it was to get into heaven. You see, God didn't say, well, I love Him so much that, you know what, I'm just going to make it easier. Why did He not do that? Because He is righteous. Because there is a standard of holiness to be able to be in the presence of God, to be able to be in, in heaven. And that standard is complete holiness. And the only way that could be made possible for any of us to be there was if His Son became the holy sacrifice that we needed. Not man, not religion, not a denomination, not a church, not myself, but Jesus. For God so loved the world, and men loved darkness rather than light. Do you know, had God 
lowered the standards of what it was to get into heaven. He would have spit in the face of his son, Jesus Christ. He would have done an incredible disservice to the work of his son on the cross because his son on the cross says you can't earn this. His son on the cross says there is no other way. His son on the cross says simply believe. Trust my work. Receive this free gift today. Yes, the purpose is clear. The promises are clear. And the problem is still clear today. This is the condemnation that that the light has come into the world. Men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds were evil. Light in this, in this instance, light can mean many different things in the Bible. In this instance, it seems to lend itself to an interpretation of revelation or exposing. What he's saying is that men don't come to Jesus. Not because there isn't light, but because he is the light and that light is doing the job. And rather than owning up to our sin and trusting him for the forgiveness of that sin, we would much rather say, no, no, pretend like he doesn't see it, pretend like we don't see it, pretend like we got it all under control and go do it ourselves. That is the condemning road. For everyone practicing evil hates the light and it does not come to the light lest his deeds should be exposed. But he who does the truth comes to the light that his deeds may be clearly seen that they have been done in God. Quite a division here this morning. Perish and eternal life. Light, darkness, condemned, never condemned. Think of that for a moment. All of the world divided into those two categories. Life, perish. Light, dark. Condemned believing I'll be honest I don't know enough about you some of you I know some about but none of you I know everything about and the same is true with me we may be able to put on a pretty good show and I've been fooled by that I've been fooled by people who have put on a good show And I would have to say that I've probably fooled a few people myself in putting on a good show. So I'll admit to you, I have no ability to be able to, I cannot look into your heart. I'm a horrible judge. Not to say I don't try, but I'm a horrible judge. If it only comes down to those two decisions, those two standings with God, believe, condemn, Light, dark, life, perishing. Which one do you fall in? Which one do you know you are standing in right now? If eternal life is so important to God, and He doesn't just love you, but He so loves you, I believe that there's not one of us that's lost this morning in hearing the gospel 
that God would not be saying, that's it, to your heart. That God would not be saying, that's the missing piece right there. That God would not be confirming His love to you in a very special way as He applies that truth to your heart to say to you, I do not want you to spend eternity away from me. I sent my Son for you. This morning, it's our privilege to extend that gospel to you. That if you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ died on the cross for you and was raised again the third day, and you know you are a sinner in need of salvation, for you to say from your heart to God's, God, I know I'm a sinner. I know Jesus paid the price for my sins. And today, by faith, I receive that free gift that He offered to me on Calvary's hill. Could you say something like this? God, thank you for loving me and saving me today. If that is from your heart to God's, you mean every word of it, then God means every word of it to you. You will never be condemned. I pray today that if you have not made that decision, or maybe you just made it for the first time this morning, and you want to stand and you want to tell people, you're not afraid to come and say, you know what, I started my relationship with Jesus Christ today. Maybe you've got something else on your heart. Maybe you are walking in darkness. You're a child of God, you know that, but you've been making decisions that are not honoring and glorifying Him. Maybe it's a rededication time in your life. Maybe you know this is the church that God wants you to partner with, to be a part of His work throughout all the world. And this morning you say it is time that we join and unite with this church. Maybe you've never followed Christ in that first step of obedience, baptism. You want to talk to somebody about that. 